Hello, Yeroon. Hello, Dylan. It's time to take off that face mask, take those cucumbers off your eyes, and get out of the spa, because we are moving on to Elmland. Oh, Elmtown is back, but you're going to Elmland? Absolutely. And uh, no more cringing at my pronunciation of it, because it's just Elmland. Simple as that. I mean, now you only you always say MSPA, so I'm good with it. That's that's fair. All that work for nothing. All that work for nothing. But if it, there ever comes a new MSPA, then I, I know you'll be good. But now, <laughs> Elmland, and we have a nice guest with us. We have Ryan again. Ryan Haskell Glass, welcome. Hello. How's it going, everyone? One thousand percent rename the project because Spa and SPA could not. I didn't know how to resolve that conversation. <laughs> but yeah, first when you said face mask, I was like, oh god, it's COVID. Like I, I was so scared. <laughs> like what's happening? <laughs> Am I not in the loop? And then the cucumbers. The cucumbers. That would be a weird me, combo. Yeah, that they brought me back. I'm like, ah, all right, I'm getting the visual. This is good. <laughs> this is definitely better. I, I was confused until a little bit later. <laughs> but no, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me back on the show. Yeah, great to have you, Ryan. And um, well, so. We're here to talk about Elmland, and it is not quite 1.0, but why don't you just tell us, like, what is the the gist of Elmland, and, you know, in a nutshell, how does it compare to Elm SPA? Totally. Yeah. Elm SPA, I mean, if, if people walk away from this and be like, oh, Elmland's the next Elm SPA, I'll be happy with that. Elmland is, uh, it's kind of a, I took a step back. I might have brought this up on the on the previous episode of LMSPA, but when I first got into LMSPA, I really thought I was just going to make an Elm package, and that's all that I needed to do. Um, I just wanted to make something to make that boilerplate for like wiring up a browser application uh, easier. And as I started to like get deeper, I, I realized I I couldn't get the ergonomics I was looking for without doing a little bit of code gen or. Uh, generating those basically that case expression in the update or in the view without having the person's custom type in my package there'd be a lot of like pattern matching with underscores at the end it was kind of a it, it wasn't a win so i, I didn't want to have that didn't want to have bugs for people forgetting to wire things up so lmspa was initially just like it kind of brings me back to like the early days when i was learning elm where we kind of had one tool for everything and that was like, I feel like a sense of like, uh, we had a sense of pride around that. It was like, if you want to use UI, we have Elm UI. If you want to use GraphQL, we have Elm GraphQL. And if uh, you want to do routing, Elm routing, just kidding. Elm SPA, because I had to break the, the pattern there. But no, like I feel like uh, I wasn't interested in kind of providing answers for those other areas. But as I started to, to you know, talk to more friends about Elm and try to figure out like, you know, what's... Uh, what's keeping you or, uh, from trying it, you know, where'd you get stuck? I started to realize that the holistic experience of building web apps is tricky. And I wanted Elmland to kind of be like, hey, let's just like handle the the whole problem. Like, how do I do this? How do I do that? Not necessarily make tools for everything, but I wanted Elmland to be able to just focus on like the most critical uh, issue and address that. So that's kind of that's kind of how Elmland spiritually differs, I guess, from Elm SPA, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So so yeah, philosophically, you I hear you talking a lot about Evans. Let's be mainstream talk in this context. I believe that's the inspiration for for the rainbow logo. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That was my first. That was my first talk, and that was like what got me hooked. So that always gives me a nice, warm, fuzzy, nostalgic feeling. <laughs> that's awesome. Can you summarize like? What were your takeaways from the Let's Be Mainstream talk for anyone who hasn't seen it or, or doesn't, hasn't seen it for a little while, maybe? <laughs> totally. Yeah, my takeaway was, so when I watched that, the context was I, I was a JavaScript developer. I was working in a web agency and I was using like React and Vue.js uh, primarily. And when I saw that talk, it, I felt like it was addressed to me. And I felt like uh, the gist of the talk was like, hey, there's this weird thing called functional programming. And... Uh, if it's uh, the quote he had that really like it hit, it was just like if if function if type functional programming is so great, how come no one's using it? And that just like as someone that didn't know it, I was really satisfied to hear that. I was like, yeah, what's up with that? You know, <laughs> like what's going on over on the other side? The big takeaway for me was that historically, you know, these functional languages have been uh, maybe maybe the direction of the marketing wasn't exactly where we wanted, but. Elm was designed for like 
people building front ends. And so when I heard that, it was like, let's let's make a tool for, for people building front end UI as opposed to like, let's make a nice UI language for functional programmers. And that really like, I, I think helps like guide a lot of the decisions uh, with Elmland, um, uh, which is like, yeah, like if I have the choice whether to make it like familiar and accessible to a JavaScript developer or make it like um, uh, the most type safe or the most correct, I'll usually lean towards approachable. Normally I don't have to make a trade off because I'm so, <laughs> so nice about that, but that's kind yeah, of- That's why we like it, right? Totally, totally. But um, so that's kind of, that was my takeaway. It's like uh, what I realized I had been doing for years as like a Elm community member was telling, not showing. And I was really being like, oh, like there's all these guarantees and, you know, you have all this and you don't like you don't get it. There's, you know, this is like a whole new level of, of building things. And I wasn't really connecting with uh, some of those core concerns is like, I feel like a lot of people do get bought into the vision of Elm, but they just have a hard time how do I use it now? It's like, great, like, this is perfect. This sounds like, I don't want runtime exceptions, but like, how do I use it? And so I really wanted to start shifting to focus on how to answer those questions. Right. I've, I've noticed that the way you talk about it <clears throat> and the way the guide, the language of the guide, the tone is very focused on the task at hand and not jargon and not at like, just high level, what are you doing rather than how you're doing it and what language features and immutability and even talking about like custom types and the specifics of how you're doing it. It's, it's more just like, hey, let's, let's add a new URL to our app, kind of general language that anyone could understand. So you don't mention monads at <laughs> anywhere in the guide? No, no, I do that. Yeah, I do that never. Uh, that's my advice. <laughs> I still don't. I still feel like after using Elm professionally for like over five years, I still don't feel like I have a good grasp on exactly what that word draws a line around. Like, I know I'm using them. I know that there's like, oh, this and that and this. And I've heard the rules maybe three or four times and I forget them every time. And it's never mattered. <laughs> sorry, sorry, functional programmers out there. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I've got a good grasp of what it means. But then whenever people really use it in a context, like, oh, it's a monadic X or a monadic Y. I'm like, no, you lost me there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the monadic bind. And I'm like, yeah, you betcha. Yeah, the, the, the monadic bind, yeah. That, that is like the, the literal thing, what it makes a monad, in my opinion. Uh, or in my understanding at least, but then whenever they use it somewhere else, I'm like, oh, no, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> From what I understand, it's like a burrito, and I consider myself an expert on burritos. I'm not very good at binding burritos, but I know that people do bind burritos, so that must be why they're monads. So. I feel like the, the title barista is totally misused on coffee people. That should be on burrito experts. I just... <laughs> Why don't we have a word for that? And monad experts? Yes, baristas. So you've talked about this sort of like more holistic vision of making Elmland accessible to people beyond just making a tool, making a guide, making a community. I, I think, uh, you know, you, you've really explored like that broader vision, which is really cool. Just to like, for people who are new to Elmland to bring it back to like what it is exactly. There's still an NPM package at the end of the day, just like there's an Elm SPA NPM package. You can NPM install Elmland Elm as well, and it gives you something that you can run commands to give you a dev server, to add new routes, and like the actual tool itself at the core of it is pretty similar to Elm SPA, right? Yeah, it's, that's very true. Yeah, the CLI tool, it's really just, uh, yeah, a bit of scaffolding, uh, a bit of code gen. And then the only difference is that dev server kind of got upgraded from Elm SPA. I think that's like the biggest difference uh, in terms of yeah, capability. So when you say the dev server, you mean uh, a tool that helps you run it in development? Exactly, yeah, yeah. So I mean, this this is a great example of like a difference between Elm SPA and Elmland in terms of philosophy. With Elm SPA, uh, I made my server, there was an Elm SPA server command. I was like, oh, it'll be like Elm Reactor. It's not really, you're not supposed to really use it for like, you know, doing full development because you can't, you know, 
with Elm Reactor, you can't like import your JavaScript, you know, web components or anything like that. And with uh, Elm Land Server, I'm like, why am I, why am I asking people to download this thing and then kind of giving them like half a tool? Where it's like, yeah, you can use this until you like really want to use it. And then you should go figure out, here's like a bunch of examples for how to use something else. Then it goes back to like that core thing. It's like people don't want to pick a dev server, right? They just want to, they just want to build something and just the, the tool should get out of their way. And I always thought it was crazy before my days of Elm, the fact that like the front end engineers have to like build their own compilers for like, oh, this is my SAS pipeline and it's going to go here and like. In the early days, it was like Gulp and Webpack, and you just write all this code about how to like, it's like, cut it out. (laughs) I want to make the button round, you know, like get out of my face. But yeah, so with Elmland, it's, there's like, there's a little bit of uh, configuration I kind of put in air quotes that don't probably translate uh, over the the radio if I don't say that out loud. But the thing with uh, configuration is it's like, yeah, what link tags do you want to render in the HTML? Uh, Do you want the debugger? yes or no, you know, for development, for production. But uh, you can just run Elmland server on a new project and you don't have to configure anything special. It'll, it'll just work out of the box. Right. And it has a Vite integration built in, right? Correct. Yeah. It's using Vite under the hood and I don't expose the internals of that. I might have like, there's some discussion in the community about, uh, you know, should we just have that with like a warning? Basically my, my fear with exposing the internals for the server is that if I, you know, JavaScript changes so fast, if something happens in six months and now everyone's using, what's the Vercel one, Turbo, Turbo something? Turbo Pack. It's like the whole, you know, JS ecosystem pivots to using Turbo Pack for whatever reason. I don't want Elmland developers to have to do that upgrade by hand. I'm like, yeah, that's something that the framework can handle. You just want uh, a really fast development experience. You want your error messages in the browser. That's a framework problem. That's not a your company problem or your side project problem. So I've, I've done my best to try to hide that it's Vite, not like hide in a sneaky way, but not have people bound to that technology the same way that I feel like a lot of frameworks, uh, you know, before would be like, okay, like here's your Webpack integration or here's your um, Gulp, you know, here's where you put your uh, build tool stuff. Because I, I've, yeah, I've just seen how that changes so fast. Right. So can can you, if you wanted to use SAS, SCSS, could, can you configure Vite to do that? Or I guess maybe Vite has that out of the box. I can't remember. I'm not sure. I, they might have SAS. The way that you would do it in Elmland is, so there's an example in the repo. I think there's a assets and SCSS like folder in, uh, up on the official repo. But the way you do it is you just compile your SAS to CSS using like the, the SAS package from NPM. Those CLI tools, uh, you just kind of would run concurrently with, with the server and then output that in, the, in a generated CSS file. But it's not coupled to Vite in any way or coupled to the dev server in the way that we're used to. So they have to do it manually or with their own custom scripts next to Elmland, right? Exactly, yeah. So the example is you, you run NPM dev and it spins up Elmland server and it spins up SAS watch or whatever it is. Sasquatch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sas, yeah, Sasquatch. <laughs> great. But that allows you to, you know, in a few months, everyone's doing post CSS for everything. Everyone's doing Tailwind. It's like, yeah, just plug in whatever you want. The artifact that Elmland cares about is a CSS file. Give me that CSS file. We'll put it in the browser and, and you're done. Everything else uh, I don't think needs to be conflated, but I know, uh, I know that's kind of the direction that a lot of the ecosystem is right now. It's headed in. So I'm curious about something now. So you're saying that the main difference between Elmland and Elm SPA is the dev server. So, so why didn't you just add a dev server to Elm SPA? I think on the tooling side, the big, the big upgrade on the CLI side was the dev server. But in terms of like the scope of the project, uh, I think Elmland it more so differs in like its philosophy and the amount of guides and resources. And like the, I think a big example is like the VS Code plugin. Um, that is not a CLI tool uh, by any means, but it's like I, I watched someone on Twitch try to use Elmland for the first time, and it was an early version of Elmland. There were plenty of little bugs that I, I was taking notes as I watched, and the biggest problem that they ran into is their editor would just uh, kind of be crashing, giving them false positives on errors, and I was like, this is the number one problem with Elmland is 
the they can't type <laughs> so like whatever it takes to make that holistic experience work that that's kind of what elmland is it's it's not just the not just the cli tool uh, whereas elm spo kind of was yeah so you felt like a rename was probably a good step yeah totally just uh just a step back and um and maybe it's just because i got the domain who knows but it, it's definitely a different project in, in spirit it feels like just to clarify it is elm.land elm.land so, yeah. yep that is pretty cool that's pretty sick yeah Got so are, are you now president of Elmland or? I am the janitor of Elmland. Okay. <laughs> CEO janitor. I'm the only employee. I'm literally anything. So I don't know. I, I do it all. But we do have a dictator, a benevolent yeah. dictator for life. Right? Yeah, in charge of one person. Um, yeah. So I don't even know. That's like every political system. You could pick any of them and it would work. Just one guy. <laughs> it does remind me of something I heard with with Bun, the creator of this Bun JS runtime, was talking about how if, like, since the goal of Bun is performance oriented, like, I guess, back, node backwards compatible, high performance runtime, he was saying that he didn't want anything to be out of scope of what he would tackle if it was on the critical path for improving performance, you know? So if it's That's like, way to put it. Yeah. there's some, like, package he need npm package he needs to build because that's what's slowing down people's experience executing javascript code quickly then it's like okay that's in scope so your attitude here reminds me of that in a similar way where it's just like all right let's look at somebody is maybe somewhat experienced with web development but they're interested they're curious about elm and how can you give them an on-ramp that's gonna make it as delightful as Elm promises to be holistically as the whole experience of getting started using it. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And there's like so many steps on the way. Like I, when I was first learning, it was like finding the right educational, like content, the right resources and like wrapping my head around the concepts and finding like analogies to what I knew. So like, I think there's going to be more development in that space in terms of like what I work on with Elmland is like just providing more concrete resources. Like, look, this is a real app. Here's how it works. You can play around with it. And yeah. Yeah, it's really about that whole that whole experience, just like you said. I really do like I, I like the like that perspective, the one you shared with the bun creator. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I, I've heard people saying really good things about the Elmland guides. And I think that's really cool that you're kinda I mean, uh, you know, as as Yurun loves to quote the the uh the Elm philosophy, uh, take responsibility for user experiences. So it is very Elmy to um, take that ownership and say, like, it's not enough to say that's someone else's problem. Like, if it's if they're experiencing that problem using my thing, then I'm going to take responsibility for that. That kind of ties into like a feeling that I had early on. And I know I've talked to you about this and I've talked to like Matt Griffith about this. But when the community was so small in the beginning, there felt like there was a contrast of like stepping on people's toes and like because it, it it felt emotionally easier to be like, oh, like, I don't want to like mess with UI because that's like, you know, Matt's domain or I don't want to mess with GraphQL. That's Dylan's domain. Um, and so, yeah, there was like I think there was a hesitation initially. So I definitely I definitely get why that hasn't happened historically in the Elm community, because everyone's so friendly and everyone's so close that no one wants to really <laughs> be like hey don't use this use this you know and no one wants to be competitive uh, internally so yeah i think that was probably the biggest like emotional hurdle for trying to like make a framework that encapsulated so many different aspects of building web apps i'm like am i gonna be stepping on the toes of the people that like helped me get here you know what i mean that, that was like mm -hmm, a freaky mm -hmm. that was a freaky thing mm. and in talking to you and in talking to matt you guys are both like no don't worry about it like what <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Build great yeah. stuff we want great stuff <laughs> Totally, totally. I, I totally understand that, yeah. It, it is true that when people say, oh, I want to make this tool for doing GraphQL, and like, well, there's Elm GraphQL that Dylan made. And like, yeah, but I, I still want to do like my own thing, or like there's something that uh, Elm GraphQL doesn't support or something like that. The the best solution is usually like, go talk to to the author and see if you can do if you can improve their solution because that leaves less choices to the user like which uh, graphql package do you want to use well there's 
if there's one and it's great, then that's the best experience that a user can could ask for. If there's like five and they're all like, well, in this case, in your situation, you might want to use this one or this one or these three other ones, then that's not as great. So there's this advice, which I, I tend to give and I still tend to give, but I totally understand that that also prohibits people from doing something because yeah, you're gonna need to do something new in some cases, like with Elmland. That reminds me of uh, that reminds me of the coolest, <laughs> the coolest is extreme. The coolest thing I ever heard in a tech talk from the Elm community was Richard Feldman gave a talk about Elm UI. And Richard Feldman, uh, most I'm sure everyone on this podcast knows. And if not, don't feel bad. Sorry, uh, <laughs> but Richard Feldman is like he made Elm CSS which was like, in my opinion, like the de facto way to do CSS before Elm UI uh, came out. Uh, it was, you know, there was no alternative besides just no writing, not writing it in Elm at all. And the cool thing that he did was in his talk, he was like, yeah, I made an alternative to this, but like use, use this guys, use Elm UI. I was like, that was so cool because it, uh, it gave us the benefit of like, yeah, if you're like new to the community, everyone regardless of who made what is like advocating for you know the whatever the 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 best tool at the moment is or whatever the most uh most likely to be successful tool is but it's still allowed like matt to create elm ui which like if he tried to this is maybe a silly example but like if he tried to coordinate with richard feldman it's like hey i think i'm you know like we really want one way to do uis maybe elm css should look like this instead i think that would have been like slower for him and so i'm, I'm kind of glad that he went and said like, no, I don't, in order to like experiment or explore, I don't need to really uh, necessarily coordinate with Richard Feldman in terms of like the project's uh, like vision. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Or it was mm -hmm. kind of a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. In, in this example, the, the vision of Elm CSS and of Elm UI are different. So if the vision is different, then you don't want to pursue the same path. You don't want to have one project or at least if they're too different. Mm -hmm, totally. Yeah, if they're similar enough, it would, I think it's great to collaborate. So w was there like other projects which you thought Elmland's visions conflicted with or coincided with? I don't think it conflicted with anything. I mean, the only similar tool in the space is Elm Pages. And at the time, I mean, before the V3 update, there really wasn't too much overlap in terms of uh, use cases. Now the V3 is more like dynamic and it's kind of more like remix uh, like style. There's definitely overlap there, but I, I don't know. I don't I don't see like because uh, because Dylan and I will talk about like, hey, like this API, this is what I'm thinking about. And we like share share ideas and ideas from I know like Dylan's error messages, for example, from Elm Pages V2. That was something that inspired Elmland. And was it the shared model or how, what was the thing that was borrowed from Elm SPA? Was it the shared I definitely, definitely, yeah, borrowed, shared, you know, you doing the file-based routing definitely gave me the confidence to be like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess that would work okay in Elm. Like, cause at first I was like, uh, all these JS tools that do it have much more flexible file naming patterns that you can use. Whereas with Elm, like you can only, has to start with a capital letter and the only special character you can use is underscore, but but not at the beginning for some reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. Yep. Yeah. I feel like uh, I feel like that's an example of like two explorations that strengthened each other as they grew. Because I mean the culture the culture within the Elm community has never felt to me like, you know, X versus Y. Yeah, for for me the the biggest like responsibility that that I've felt and we've discussed this together is just like how do we explain to people how to navigate these choices. Like how do we help them understand what the trade-offs are so that they know going into it how to how to make a good choice. And, and I think that's like, because I don't know. I mean, I think we're just trying, we're all just trying to improve the Elm community and strengthen that. And uh, having different, having different perspectives out there, different you know, tools that have a different approach or that solve, diff you know, maybe slightly different, maybe overlapping problems, but slightly different 
there's a lot of value to that. And the innovation in itself is really valuable too. So even if something is overlapping a little bit, but it's innovating, I mean, it can get to the whole JavaScript fatigue level and that's, you know, that's not ideal, but I, I definitely don't think we're there. And I think there's value to the experimentation too. So is Elmland, if somebody is starting a new project right now, should they use Elmland or Elm SPA? Uh, Elmland. Even though it doesn't have that 1.0 version, we have now surpassed the functionality as well as the, I think, the quality of Elm SPA. And August, uh, August 12th, I, I know this uh, podcast is going to be recorded or posted a little bit in the future, so I'll try to be specific. But on August 12th, I released a, a live stream video on um, my YouTube of you know, upgrading Elm SPA from scratch. Yeroon was hanging out in the chat. I think Yeroon's the first chatter you'll see if you watch that. But it <laughs> yep. took about, you know, an hour and uh, hour 15, I'd say, to, to migrate the real world conduit app over. And it was mostly half of that was me just joking around and chatting with people. So sorry if you have to watch all that. It's a, come join the Twitch stream. It's more fun that way. But yeah, uh, I upgraded the real world app and it was really just it always comes back to the same thing. Evan did such great work with the Elm compiler. I just get to piggyback off of that awesome user experience. So if you have an Elm SPA project and you want to like upgrade it, like the Elm compiler will literally just tell you everything. You will in that stream. You will watch me use about two percent of my brain, uh, <laughs> and hopefully El the Elm land guide will will cover the rest of like what does this error mean, um, kind of stuff. So if you thought that Ryan was smart, he's actually 50 times smarter than that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that what people should know about me is that I choose Elm because I want to be dumb. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't like, I don't want to be fancy at work. I don't want to be clever. I just, I want to just do it the dumbest way possible. That just works and it's reliable and it doesn't keep me up at night. So Elm matches my personality, I would say. Yeah, I would say I like to be smart. I like to feel smart, but I don't like having to be smart in order to, <laughs> Fair. to program. Fair enough. I think it's hilarious to say I'm stupid. I think that's just like a funny <laughs> sentence and fun to say. So like, if you just say that a few times, it's like all of a sudden it starts to grow on you. It's like, ah, I'm an idiot. You know, it feels good. And that's one of those sentences where the more you say it, the more people will believe you. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> cool. Only a fool would think that they're smart, though. Let's be honest. Yeah. There's a name for that thing, but I don't remember it. <laughs> so you, you said that if someone were to start with uh, building a new uh, Elm application, you would probably recommend Elmland, or at least if they considered Elm SPA. Do you think that Elmland is also at a point where if, you just, if you're new to Elm, you should start with Elmland, or... Uh, should they go through the Elm guide first? I think if you're like me and you you learn with like examples, I think Elmland's a great place to start just so that you can, it, it depends where you're coming from. So Elmland was designed for for folks working with React or Vue who are familiar with, you know, frameworks like Next.js or, you know, SvelteKit or whatever that just lets them just like add a page, add a button, that kind of stuff. Definitely the Elm guide is like, uh, a resource that uh, you should check out. But when it comes to getting a feeling for the language and like experiencing the compiler, uh, I think leading with leading with syntax, especially in Elm, can be harmful because it gives the wrong idea. I think we kind of have a culture of like, hello world, like when you're looking at the examples, how many lines of code is it? How weird do the letters look? And it doesn't really capture the feeling of, oh, I like uh, changed this and I got a really nice error message. So. I, I, I personally think that starting with examples, whether that's Elmland or you know another framework, I think starting with the framework is a really good way to get an honest view of what it would be like to work with the tool, as opposed to comparing kind of snippets and, and learning like like whoa they use plus plus instead of plus like I'm out of here like what is this it's like that's not what you're gonna hate in a year. Yeah, that's actually true. Like the the Elm guide is amazing. But one of the other amazing things with Elm is the compiler error messages. And I don't think the guide mentions it um, much or nearly enough. Like just the fact that you should rely on the, the compiler error messages and that this is just a great part of Elm. I don't think it, it does put enough emphasis on it. 
Yeah, it's hard because it's like a you know a Gitbook, and it's really the goal of that document is like how does the language work at a fundamental level. I mean, that's that actually really does resonate what you just said with me because when I was reading the Elm Guide, I was, I was, I was, I had like one foot out the door. I remember looking at the syntax, being like, "This is weird." I don't think <laughs> even if I could figure it out, if this is something that I'd want my coworkers to be exposed to. And then it wasn't until I saw that button example, like the counter, you know, plus minus, and there was a challenge at the end of the, the guide section. It was like, hey, add reset. It wasn't until I did that that I experienced the compiler and I'm like, oh, like this is nuts. I like just typed in like some weird alien language and I just added a feature and it was right on the first guess with no help. And I'm like, whoa. And it circles back to, I'm not smart. Like I'm telling you guys, <laughs> this is something you could do with no experience and the, the compiler does guide you. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people, when they see people that can use these tools, the assumption is, oh, they must be different than me. They must be able to do something. It's like, no, I was a Vue.js developer. Like we're all <laughs> on the same team here. So like, I didn't know it. You really have to believe Ryan. He's really not that smart. I'm so dumb, you guys. <laughs> Someone tell him. I'll just, you have to ask my coworkers. <laughs> Is there anything else on your radar? We talked about like that, this idea that nothing is out of scope for trying to like give this easy on-ramp for helping people get acclimated to Elm with this goal of let's be mainstream. Like what other points of friction do you see for users with their on-ramp to Elm right now? Some of which you, you might have solved already and some of yeah? them you haven't. Yeah, of the things I haven't solved. So when I set out with that like initial like Elmland, you know, hello world post or whatever, I set out for the goal of like, you should be able to build GitHub with Elm and every, you know, the framework should be able to handle an app with that level of complexity and without Without setting like that concrete goal, I wouldn't have catch-all routes, right? Because you can't have GitHub without that file explorer page where you don't know the depth of the user's uh, you know, Git repo. You don't know if it's source CLI readme or if it's you know readme. Basically like the depth of the URLs. So catch-all routes was something that was added. But in terms of things that are still missing, like if I wanted to make GitHub, there's two big things that are missing. One, you could get around by using um, you know, some type of, I don't know, like serverless function or something, which is like meta tags for GitHub. When you share a repo, you want to see a nice preview of that image. You want to see, you know, you share it on Discord, share it on Twitter. You need to have meta tags at server render time for those those meta tag crawlers to work. And that's not something that Elmland supports. Um, that's not something in the near term that I think about adding, but uh, it would be nice to have an example of how to do that you know, maybe with Vercel or with Netlify, like, hey, if I wanted to do meta tags, uh, if someone at, I think it was someone at Elm Camp that was, I was like, yeah, don't use Elmland for anything that needs meta tags. And they were just like, can I just do that function? I was like, oh yeah, I guess. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so that makes sense. The other thing is, initially I was thinking about a UI plugin and a GraphQL plugin. I've since backed off of the UI angle. I think making a UI framework's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> There's like ideas I had an experiment that actually is public if anyone wants to play around with it. This is not Elmland related. This is uh, at Ryan NHG slash CSS dash in dash Elm, CSS and Elm. And what it does is I just write my CSS file and I use this like, you know, 2 million plus NPM download package that Svelte uses to just scan the AST, grab the class names and just generate me a file called CSS. So I can just say CSS.row that goes so far. <laughs> I've been building a, like a product with this, just like, you know, playing around with it. And it's insane. You can delete a CSS class and get an Elm error message. You don't make typos in Elm. It's like you can use Elm review to figure out unused CSS in your .css file, all with the ergonomic benefits of just typing CSS and like getting the autocomplete from your editor and all that. I was, that was like 40 lines of code and I just published it so that people could, could try it out. And it's not, it's like not perfect. There's like little like bugs that I work around because I, I don't care about it being right. I just, I'm using it and it's great. But I don't want to make a UI package for Elmland. I, I think Elm UI 2 uh, might be on the horizon. I don't know. 
the timeline is for that, I don't want to you know, hold anyone anything, but I've heard rumors that that might be a thing. And then GraphQL, when I was working at Vendor, I kind of started the, I kind of started the GraphQL project a little bit, but then with like resourcing and stuff, uh, uh, Matt Griffith was able to take that and take push it over the line. There were some ideas that uh, I wanted to explore with GraphQL that I think would be really great. And most importantly, I want to have a really good documentation experience uh, for people working with GraphQL. So if you're making a GitHub app, you're going to want to use the GraphQL API. So that's actually something I've been working on in the past, like uh, within the past week. I was just kind of tinkering around with that and seeing where that goes. But yeah, I think GraphQL, meta tags, those are the biggest limitations right now and when it comes to building real things. But I think yeah, the future for Elmland for me is building stuff and finding those gaps. That's been really satisfying. I love to start new projects <laughs> and I love to like deploy things and share cool cool screenshots and GIFs. So I um, I think I'll continue to do that and then that'll reveal more more holes in the framework. But yeah. That's cool. So it sounds like um, maybe like the guides fill a big part of that gap for you of making the onboarding experience easier. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a lot of stuff where it's like it's doable in Elm, but it's not clear how to get there. And so like there's some things where it's like, yeah, I don't even have to implement a feature. I just have to explain a concept. Components, the component section of the guide is something that it took me years to really find a pattern that I was happy with when it came to like advanced you know, components that needed to not only keep their own state, but also, you know, bubble up events to the to the parent. And so I think the, com- the components section in the online guide is like one of my favorites, because I feel like I could finally share that, share that, uh, that problem I had for years, a uh, solution to that with people. What are some of the highlights of the component section of the guide? Yeah, highlights is, uh, you know, using using the simplest component possible. So it, it starts by just introducing you to like, if you want to make a footer and it doesn't have any interactivity, just make a function called footer and put some markup in there. And um, if you want to make something that's highly configurable, I recommend using uh, Brian. Brian Hicks had that robot button from Mars pattern. Uh, so if you just find yourself trying to do the first thing uh, where you're just making a function, but you have all these optional arguments that you don't want to specify explicitly every time, Use that builder pattern, very useful. And then, uh, yeah, when it gets in the stateful, the, the, there's, it's, I think it's called like the one, two, threes of Elm components or whatever in the guide. That third level is the really interesting one, uh, which like answered the question that I had, which is how do I keep state private? How do I guarantee that like my dropdown's closing itself? And you know, when I search, it's managing that, that search string, but I'm not making the, the caller wire that up every time. And so a lot of that is optimizing for making the component easy to call at the cost of making the update function, do the, you know, do the HTML mapping and all that kind of stuff for you doing, doing the, the mapping internally. So, so is this more of a tutorial or a, a really a, a guide or does Elmland also do something special with those components? It is just a, just a guide uh, or a tutorial and it's in the concept section. Uh, if you go to elm, elm.land slash guide, it's just kind of uh, introducing you to components in general, but kind of putting it in context of the Elm framework, or sorry, the Elmland framework, where we have uh, effect.send message, uh, which is kind of a core, uh, core feature of bubbling up events and things like that. But you could use this in a vanilla Elm app, you could use this in Elm pages. The technique totally stands for anyone who has an existing Elm project today. Uh, and it's what um, we've adopted. We adopted at Vendor, and we are not using Elmland, uh, you know, at Vendor. Yeah, I recognize a lot of patterns that we use at work as well. So, definitely good things in here. Someone tweeted something that really warmed my heart the other day. It was something like this: like, oh, I just wish I knew about this Elmland framework. It's like all the things we use at work that is like public now or whatever. I forget ex- the exact wording, but it was cool to like to feel validated by it's like, yeah, if you made a bunch of people figure it out on their own and no one coordinated, they'd all arrive at that solution. It's, uh, it's a concurrent evolution or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the point that he was trying to make was something like, uh, I spent years coming out, uh, arriving at the same solution. So if Elmland was here today or b- back when I started, then I would have jumped a few years already. Yeah, hopefully that's what, we're, that's what we do, we can you know, achieve. Uh, as a community, it's like just building those foundations so people, the next wave of Elm developers starts a little bit higher up the rung than we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when I started, the, the question was like, how do you do an Elm SPA? Yeah. Right. And now we're we're past that. 
It's like, how don't you do an LMSPA? <laughs> how, do, how do you do a single page app which, with, with literally one page? Please. Literally I tried making one page, but I had to make two. Like, what the hell? <laughs> it was very difficult figuring out in those early, like the early Elm 19 days, figuring out how do you build an SPA? I mean, because we really do rely on these patterns and examples. And, you know, once you've done it, you, you know what to look for so you can, you know, plunk it out. But, but yeah, I mean, like, how do you approach components? How do you build an SPA? You know, in the case of Elmland, it takes care of the routing for an SPA and all the wiring. So that's even better. You don't even have to think about it, which really is, I think, as it should be. Like, it just... The, I, I don't see any value in manually doing that wiring yourself personally. I, I think I think that's well done as a solved problem. But um, but there are many things in Elm where it, it it is sort of like Elm is such a simple language that it's just like there are these patterns and this is the natural way to do it. But it's hard to figure out those patterns on your own. So a little guidance goes a long way for things like how do I do a component and and in this guide, you're choosing to use these terms, I think, that someone from a JS background would be more comfortable with, even though it is sort of frowned upon to talk about it like a component in Elm, because it's like, well, components are object-oriented things that hide state, and we don't do that in Elm. <laughs> yeah, I I had like an Elm SPA component guide that was with that energy, where it's like, well, we don't really do it that. That's not the Elm way. That's the JavaScript way. and We do it this way. And then I joined Vendor and Matt's, I shared this with Matt Griffith and he's like, well, then how do you do this? And I'm like, well, well, it's, I, I guess I don't do that then because I, I can't with that limited, you know, I was, so now I kind of embrace like, no, it's fine. We'll do it that way. Cause that's, I don't know how else to do it good, you know? So it's okay to, it, very rarely I will create a stateful component like that, but when I need it, it's great to know how to do it. I think that's probably the biggest difference with JS. It's like everything is, is that by default. One thing I really liked with LMSPA, so Dylan talked about uh, that it does all the wiring for you, handle all the boilerplate or a bunch of boilerplate. One thing I really liked with LMSPA is that that boilerplate was made using CodeGen and that you could actually uh, just find that boilerplate. Uh, you could, because it was in your .LMSPA folder or something. And if you were wondering like, where is this page used or how is uh, MSPA using it in this boilerplate that I don't know? Well, you, you can look at it and it would, the, the magic would vanish. It's like, oh, it's just it's just that simple. Do you still have that in Elmland? Yeah. Do you still? Oh, great. Oh, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now there's uh, uh, big changes. Instead of an MSPA folder, I've moved it to an Elmland folder and uh, <gasps> oh my God. I'm so sorry. I will say the biggest difference in terms of the generated code is uh, two, two big differences I'll call out. One, Elmland doesn't use a package, LMSPA did. So there was some portion of the LMSPA generated code that was kind of behind an LMSPA package. With Elmland, it's just using URL, it's just using like all the, all the native uh, kind of Elm modules that people are used to. So there's no like other thing to look at. And there's no confusion when I talk about, uh, you know, installing Elmland. It's like, no, not the package. You can't find it. So if you if you go to the Elm packages thing and you search for Elmland, I didn't make one. Someone could, please don't, it'll confuse people. I was thinking of doing it right now. No, I did not do this. There will be a, for this episode, there'll be a Yeroon Elmland with a reading that says, got him. <laughs> but no, the uh, uh, that's one big difference. And the other difference is with Elm SPA, when I couldn't figure out how to solve a problem, I would just make main Elm customizable. And what that did was <laughs> it allowed people to like, you know, uh, they weren't limited by the framework and I felt like I would get, you know, pinged less or whatever. But with Elmland, I'm really doing my best to be like, if you have a problem, everyone's gonna have that problem. How do we solve it in the framework in a way where I'm not putting the cost on each individual company or each individual user using the project? So main is no longer customizable in that same way. But now, uh, because of that trade-off, now pages and layouts, they have access to these hooks. They have uh, URL change hooks. 
um, which in most cases were more ergonomically beneficial uh, and was one of the requested features for LMSPA. So by constraining you know, the ability to customize main, all of a sudden, oops, um, it's just a better experience out of the box for everyone and more features that, that are helpful. So you can't eject out of some parts of, well, LMSPA, I guess, but uh, so you, because you could configure your view or you can configure your main or you could configure some things, right? But now... Yeah, with Elmland, uh, the only difference is the main file is not ejectable, but view is ejectable, uh, effect, shared, everything that you, you needed to have access to before the 404 page, all those are still ejectable, totally customizable, except for main. Main was my, main was just like, I don't know, guys, here you go, you know, please don't, don't yell at me on Slack. Uh, that was just like a, I don't know what the word is. Can you also define your own index.html or something? So you do, but rather than specifying uh, at, as HTML, you're going to specify what tags you want in your Elmland JSON file. And the reason for that is if you have control over the HTML file, you are coupled to Vite. If you're using a certain module import, for example, uh, that works in Vite, I didn't want anyone to get coupled uh, to the framework. Uh, so what I did was I exposed those link tags, those script tags, those meta tags as data that can be specified in a, in a data format. And then I can translate that into whatever, you know, dev server uh, we're, we're using in six, six months. A huge uh, example of when this can be beneficial, uh, I need to coordinate with Simon Lydell about this. Uh, you had a, you had a uh, Elm Radio episode with him about Elm Watch. That tool is amazing. I want that in Elmland. I think it's like the best Elm hot reloading experience I've ever seen. With this approach, uh, without being able to customize the HTML file, I can upgrade everyone to use Elmwatch for the Elm files, and they can continue to use Vite for their, you know, NPM packages and all that stuff. Uh, but the but the core could be using that. Yeah, when you said uh, you're defining your own dev server, I was like, oh, then you can't use Elmwatch. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> so this right. Is awesome. The trick is we need to, you know, figure out. There's there's some. It's like, oh, I like Parcel better. I like Vite better. But at the end of the day, it's like. Performance when you save the file. That's another huge thing I need to work on with Elmland performance when you when you're generating the code. But we just want the best thing. It doesn't matter. Like if people want to argue tabs versus spaces or you know indent two versus four or like beat versus parcel, I'm like, that's great for the Elm community if you want. That's not great for Elmland. Elmland is like, I want to make a button. It's got to be red. I'm talking like real red, and you got to be able to click it and make dollars. We're not going to worry about the those little those little debates uh, within within the framework. So you you don't define your index.html, but you define it in some other way. And you can also define your own ports or define your own web components if you wanted to. Exactly. Right? Yep. And I think it takes an approach similar to uh, I think Dylan did this in Elm Pages, where rather than have a HTML file where you're importing like the Elm and doing Elm main init. It's just a file where you can say, hey, this is where my flags uh, are gonna go. This is where my, uh, this is a function I call when my LMAP is ready. And they have access to environment variables and they have access to the app. That, that second function has access to the app where you can access the ports and all that kind of stuff. I really like that approach. And that does keep it agnostic of the framework or the, of the dev server. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting to hear how your thinking has evolved with the um, customizing main because in our Elm SPA episode that we had with you a while back, you talked about not wanting to have users blocked on something you didn't think of. And I mean, I, I thought that was a really cool insight in, in general, this idea that like, you know, let's not make users too dependent on me thinking of every single way they could possibly build an app. But I, I think you've maybe maybe still kept that thinking that you, you don't want users to be limited by your imagination, but maybe by providing some hooks and extension points, you can give them all the tools they need to do that in a more cleanly packaged way that isn't as, as much of a sharp knife. Totally. I think the, I think the big thing is that's easy for me to make a main customizable, but what's really cool in terms of like a social, like, structure is if I don't make it customizable, I get bug reports and I actually get yeah, to get feedback. Yeah. So maybe it's totally. a little bit messed up, but that's how I get, I can get, you know, Hey, this, how do I do this? And I'm like, great. 
if you could customize main, you never would have told me that you couldn't do this. And then you'd come in, you'd do it, you'd have a bad time, and that would be a secret thing that happened at your company that you'd be suffering with for months. And I'd be like, if you just told me, I could have flipped this switch, you know? Let me know about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, and then you could come up with the best solution for everyone, and now no one will have that problem anymore. I think a great example is of something that I didn't do is like the... A lot of people want to use Tailwind CSS, and they're like, how do I use that? The, in the online Discord, uh, there's a community member, uh, Dizoni, who just like made a, made a plugin. It's just so cool when just having a place where people are like, I just want to build it with this. How do I do it? And I can like link to someone's repo. I feel like there's a huge weight off my shoulders, and people are like working together, and that's like a space where, yeah, no one's like, everyone's like collaborating, and I, I want to see more of that. I want to see more people joining that community and feeling empowered to make suggestions and even like code changes to the the framework. I don't want to be like the bottleneck in terms of uh, feature development. So I, I try to encourage people uh, when they do suggest a feature. I'm like, that's a great idea. And I would I'd love to review that. Here's here's what I would need. Like if you just add this example or, you know, show what you want. Uh, we have a really cool test suite. This is a bit of a tangent where it's not unit tests. It's not Elm tests. It is it's called bats and it's bash automated testing something. I don't think that's is something, but it's something else that starts with S. And all I do is I just have like tests that are like run Elmland, uh, expect the output says welcome to Elmland, run Elmland, add page, blah, blah, blah. You expect an error message. It says, hey, specify a valid URL. It's really nice. And so with all these um, examples in the official repo, I just have run Elmland build in that folder. And that's a part of my automated testing. So it'll catch if I add a feature that breaks interop, you know, as long as there's an example that pretends prevents regressions and the cost of adding a test is adding an example which is also beneficial because then people have something to click through and run on their computer I, that is the most happy i've been with tests in my entire life i feel like i'm not a very good tdd person so like i never really know how to start or how to but those are like the most payout out of any test i've ever written i'm sure dylan is like super proud of you <laughs> yeah no that's amazing <laughs> it, it does sound great yeah, and end tests are huge. I would like to have actually more of this um, kind of fully end-to-end -end tests where it's actually like running the CLI for, for Elm pages. I do have a lot of uh, Cypress tests where it's actually spinning up a browser and running through examples and executing backend tasks and running tests against them. And I mean, it's, it's very easy to write. You know, you just like expect this text to exist in the browser and you know it's like it's it's not rocket science but it, it gives you a lot of confidence that it's actually doing this thing it's actually printing this error message when you go to this route or if you if you remove a route the 404 page in the dev server correctly guides the user on how to add a new page or whatever you want to do you know so yeah that's huge and it's huge for contributors yeah I, I yeah I think it's great because it's like the most important thing to me is that the promises mm -hmm. that I make on the guides are are kept and right. so I love that the tests that cover my, cover my butt when uh when there's a breaking change so like I that's that's been great yeah and and I mean talking about like creating a delightful on-ramp for for users right I mean if it's if it's janky if it's glitchy, it's not going to be super delightful. And at the end of the day, we're, we're stupid, right? That's we're all self-admitted idiots. So yeah. except for you and he's like, no, <laughs> like, stop calling me that you guys, that fool. <laughs> how could he, how could he not think he's stupid? But, right. uh, <laughs> Dylan and I are stupid. Yeah, definitely. We're very stupid. I'm okay. <laughs> and you, you're in his middle of the road <laughs> you mean i stand in the middle of the road i don't know i don't think that would be very middle of the road of you <laughs> but yeah if you're if you're stupid then you'd better write some tests to make sure when you make a mistake it catches it because you will make a mistake because you're stupid right so <laughs> i wouldn't love the elm compiler so much if i wasn't if i was able to like remember everything about everything all the time you know like it's, <laughs> right, exactly. there's a certain like implicit like you know why you're here because you know you make typo and typo make bug exactly elm is not a very good language if you are a perfect genius who never makes any mistakes then yeah. elm is not use assembly like get out of here yeah. <laughs> <What are> you... <laughs> right. exactly. imagine the elm of 
Imagine if the ARM compiler remembered all of your mistakes and reminded you of past mistakes uh, when you make errors. Like, oh, again, you made this typo again. Yeah, <laughs> I want that. Do you know you? Sorry, go ahead. Do, do, do you know you've made this mistake like 432 <laughs> times now? <laughs> that would be awesome. Another type mismatch? Come on. I think what we should actually add to the ARM compiler is uh, sometimes I make a typo that's a funny word. It should chuckle. It should be like, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> you accidentally type like fart or something, you know? It's like, I think you meant to type first, but that's hilarious, bro. I think you should have a sense uh, of I humor, a dictionary. I often write uh, list.fiddler. Oh yeah, I do that too. Yeah. I typed something live on stream. It was horrible. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I mistyped flags and I'll just, leave. I'll stop there. <laughs> I like screamed. I was like, oh, and I just like immediately like, deleted it. I was like, I'm going to get my VOD taken down. I'll get canceled. <laughs> it's horrible. I, I had a heart attack, but we should change you that variable not, name. You do not deserve that rainbow logo. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so earlier you mentioned uh, someone made a Tillwind plugin. They made a example repo. Uh, they didn't make anything uh, too fancy or too specific to the framework, but um, yeah, they basically made a resource for people to use. They, they click on it, and then this is like a, just like the examples in the folder. I think I, I, at some point I need to work that into the official repo, uh, but I haven't had a chance to run it and, and play around with the experience to make it like official yet. But it's people have been using it, and it, it's been really nice, um, allegedly, from those people. I haven't. <laughs> I, uh, as, as I told you, I'm writing raw CSS and doing weird things. <laughs> That's cool. How do, how do you think about that community? So you have a, you have an Elmland Discord. We'll, we'll drop a link in the show notes to that. Tell us a little bit about the Discord and the community and, and, and how you kind of think about building that community. Totally. Yeah, I think so. Since we already have the Elm Slack, it didn't really make sense for me to have a separate space with the same goals. It's just like, hey, what if we had a smaller pool of the existing developers? Something I noticed on the Elm Slack is that there is a big variety of, of different folks on there. There are people that are excited about uh, functional programming, like language syntax. There's people that want to, you know, uh, make cool packages. And then there's, you know, there's some people that want to like build apps and, and get unblocked and, and do stuff like that. So the goal with the Elmland community was to be able to set a tone of, you know, if you join this Discord, if you know whether you're coming from React or Vue or Angular, we don't X versus Y here. We're never gonna make a a subtle joke about you know oh like this wow this look at this new React library this is pretty bad or something like we're not gonna do that kind of stuff. What you come to the Elmland Discord for is hey I've got this cool project I want to share it with people that are enthusiastic about you know using Elm to build things. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Discord itself on the, on the right here, but like. I have a question, right? I'm a beginner. I, I, I like tripped up on, got this error message. So it's really like a practical like troubleshooting, uh, as well as kind of celebrating like real real work. Um, but there's no like channel for like, you know, argue about OCaml versus you know Haskell syntax. <laughs> and I right. I kind of joke <laughs> about that, but like no moral judgment on that at all. It's just like that's not what I wanted this space to be. It's just uh, it's off topic, uh, I guess is the way to think about it. But yeah, I mean, uh, what, what's come out of that so far is like my favorite thing about Elm, favorite thing to see online is when people share like things they built, whether that's like a 3D car or like a, a website or a, an app or like a, I saw someone make like a MIDI app one time. I wanted to create a space where people, you know, if they weren't on Twitter and they didn't feel comfortable doing that publicly, they had like a safe space where they could drop their project and we could all just spam it with heart emojis and Elmland rainbows and just have that kind of energy there. So there's been some really, really cool projects uh, that have come out of that. Um, and that's, I'll, I'll post my projects in there too. So it's, I'm um, not just asking people to do it. I'll do it too. <laughs> but yeah. I love that. I mean, I think, you know, like in, in an Elm SPA or Elmland Slack channel, it, I mean, I think you're going to tend to feel a little more constrained if you want to just spam with a cool project you're working on as you're giving updates on like, oh, this little thing, because it's like one channel. And then somebody else is like asking a beginner's question or somebody else is like trying to coordinate on like, hey, I want to add this feature. How can I contribute? You know, so 
it just opens up a little more space to give people the the sense of comfort to just stretch out and do different things there in this space and really build a community. So I think, I think that's a, a great idea to build a little um, Discord community. Sweet. Yeah, I mean, Incremental Elms out there, I remember that too. And it is cool. You have, you have channels for different topics and you can kind of mute what you don't want to talk about and it's, it's a good vibe. Yeah. Which ones do you mute? Well, it's fine. We're going to judge you now. <laughs> I'm going to pull it open and see what I got. Uh, <laughs> muted. Do I have anything muted? I don't have anything muted. <laughs> I was really excited. Um, no, what a nerd. Anything muted, do I? No. For anybody who doesn't know, Incremental Elm is a, um, is a Discord we have for contributing to the Elm ecosystem. So it's completely focused on rolling up your sleeves and building things or giving feedback. Uh, less focused on the sort of Slack, what, what Slack excels at giving uh, help for for user questions and things like that. So um, yeah, that's been a really cool space for us to cheer each other on as we're kind of building fun projects. Yeah, it's cool to see like all these channels like CoGen and like uh, Form and like all these different threads where it's like yeah, if you want to contribute to the ecosystem, you've kind of got like a, a channel for everything here, which is great. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, these little communities with a very clear purpose, and uh, I think I think communities thrive when there's kind of a clear theme to it all. So we talked about uh, Elmland 1.0 and uh, is it basically is the headline for 1.0 that it will come when you can successfully recreate GitHub with Elmland? Yeah, I don't know if uh, if I'm going to wait until the like an actual GitHub clone is is out or like a you know like a, a basic GitHub clone is out. That might that might be what stops the 1.0 release. That might be like a satisfying way to go. But I really think it's it's about those features that I would need uh, to make that possible. Uh, let me see if I've got it here. Yeah. So like, performance improvements is big. I I think Elmwatch is a must. Uh, uh, it's it's like very very high very high up. Maybe not a must necessarily because you still have a dev server. But I think there's a big room for improvement. There's some missing guide sections. For some reason, I just forgot about the interop section and the environment <laughs> variables. For anyone listening right now, like today, you can make a .env file and it just works. Uh, uh -huh. It's just, it's very good, but I didn't write, I didn't put no one, I told nobody. So that's kind of stupid. So I got to put Docs that in the guy. Docs are hard. Docs yeah. are so hard. I, I admire you for putting so much love into these docs because it really is extremely hard. Yeah, it's been the most time consuming part of the project. The As, as they say, the code is the easy part and uh, it's really just been, yeah a lot of docs work uh, i want to have like a clear answer to testing i want to like figure out uh what's the easiest way like i've got elm review on here like the things like that where it's like what's the de like the normal de facto way to build an app uh, and graphql is is i need to have an answer for it not necessarily a library i'd like to make uh an elmland graphql plugin but it does as long as i can point people in the direction of like hey here's how you write graphql code and and uh make queries without having to write those decoders by hand. I think that's good. And then beyond 1.0, I think it's just more more examples and more interactive videos or more educational videos, sorry. It kind of feels like minor improvements or not major improvements. So it feels like you're almost there. Yeah, it really is. It's a lot of minor stuff. This last release, uh, 0.19, um, weirdly intersecting with Elm's uh, current version, that was like the big... That was the big thing where it was like, I'm finally past Elm SPA. It's finally like uh, I've got those framework errors and, you know, it's it's ready for people to upgrade to. And uh, yeah, it was such a weight off my shoulders when I when I finally released that. Um, so that was huge. But yeah, it's a bunch of minor stuff, but it's like the little stuff that I think is really important. Um, it's like the remaining the remaining bit. But yeah. Yeah, if that, you want to help contribute to that, awesome. hop on Discord and help me, please. <laughs> yeah. We're almost there, yeah. and then we can be big and exciting 1.0 people. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, I mean, if I were if I were to guess before we had this conversation what 1.0 would involve, I would guess like parity with Elm SPA and, and stability and, and not expecting any like major breaking changes for the sort of core functionality. But it sounds like that sort of 1.0 vibe is is kind of there at this point. And you're like 
let's be ambitious. Let's have 1.0 be like the guides are something I can fully get behind and say, I didn't miss any pages. I, you know, people aren't tripping up on anything. And we've built like a holistic onboarding experience that is going to be really positive for, for people who are new to Elm. For me, 019 just means 1.0. So yeah, <laughs> right. yeah one. I, I think you're there. <laughs> Our brain translates it. Yeah. Well, then I'm 2.0 <laughs> to your own and 1.0 to the world. I'll probably, I'll probably have a 20 in there before I have a 1.0, uh, but we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited because I, for a while I was streaming and then I was kind of streaming Elmland development and um, that's fine. But like, I'm excited about now that Elmland's done getting to make goofy things. I was on the, I was on the way to lunch uh, with my fiance or uh, sorry, not lunch. I was, uh, I was going for a walk with her this morning. I was talking about, you know what I want to make? I want to make a uh, pet only Instagram, you know, you know, just something goofy where it's just like, <laughs> you can only have dogs and cats and they're just like doing stuff. They're even doing like influencer things, you know, like product placement, but like uh, only pets or something. I don't know. I'm afraid if I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not buying any domains, so it would probably be only pets. That Elm dot land. That would that would, might have bad uh, connotation. So we'll think about the name. We'll workshop that. You know, like a mobile friendly dark mode. Um, that movies app that I just released last week is like uh, I really I really enjoyed that. That was like a dark mode uh, using a real REST API type thing. I want to I want to do more projects like that where people can just like have fun using it. You know, they don't you don't have to dive in the code. You can just be dazzled. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're trying to build cool stuff. Not build cool stuff to let you build cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although we spend a lot of time doing that, the three of us, I'd say. Someone's got to do it, you know? And <laughs> Someone's got to right. do it. And once it's done, though, you got to remember what, yeah, what our goal was in the beginning. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, amazing. Um, what should people look to to, to follow you for, for future updates and, and to, to keep an eye on Elmland and, and what's going on there? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to uh, keep an eye on Elmland, uh, if you go to join.elm.land, that's, that'll take you straight to the Discord. Uh, I'm very cool with subdomains. I figured it out. <laughs> but yeah, so elm.land is the website. And then if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm just at rhg underscore dev. I'll post uh, when I go live on Twitch, uh, on YouTube, if I have like YouTube videos or whatever. Um, but yeah. The Discord's a great place to see what the community's building. So I definitely, if, if you only went to one of those links, I would definitely recommend um, checking out the Discord uh, or following uh, following on Twitter, I guess, if uh, you're not a Discord user. But yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And then I do have a GitHub sponsors uh, page for anyone that's interested in like supporting the project. You can go to Elman's website. Uh, there's a sponsors section at the bottom and you can just click sponsor and it'll take you to my face. <laughs> but yeah. That would that, that'd be great. There's just a few sponsors in there already. And it's just, it's such a satisfying feeling to know that like people are benefiting from it, that they're excited to, um, to say thanks in that way. And every dollar means I can like spend a little bit more time on it. <laughs> it would be really cool to be able to focus on this full time. Cause there's a lot of marketing work that would need to go into this before, uh, you know, before we see that, that mainstream traction that I think everyone's hoping for. Yeah. It's a great way to con contribute back if you, if you enjoy the project. Well, Amazing stuff. Thanks so much, Ryan, for, for coming on and, and sharing all these thoughts with us. It was really lovely having you back on. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. And you, Rune. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs>